and welcome to BB On The Record, this podcast from British Bandsmen. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsmen. Thanks so much for tuning in. Who'd be an adjudicator? It's a demanding and some might say thankless task, but it's a vital role. An adjudicator's decisions can bring elation or desolation, and a judge's comments can make or break someone's confidence. Anne Crookston is relishing her role as an adjudicator, in normal times regularly travelling far and wide to run the rule over some of the best bands around. She has the experience to back it up, a career steeped in education and a performer who played at the highest level for decades before channelling her energy into conducting, all of which she discusses in this podcast plus mention of a certain victory at the National Brass Band Championships 30 years ago. But first, what attracted her to sit in the adjudicator's box? I've probably always been interested in doing it. I kind of think it's built into what you do anyway as a music teacher. When you do um, any SQA exams or if you're, you're always kind of in that appraisal mode from a brass band perspective. That kind of is built into your DNA when you begin playing in a, a great band. You have great conductors that you're working for. That kind of syncing with other people and, and, and listening around you, that kind of is built in. And then I go, if I go right back as well, as opposed to my earliest days, music festivals and things like that. So it's always, it's always been there, part of, part of what I've been doing. As someone who's played and conducted at very high levels, you'll have been on the end of a fair few adjudications yourself. It's easy, I guess, to think back on the comments that we love being associated with a winning performance. But what sorts of things used to really grind your gears when you might receive feedback from an adjudicator? What really used to annoy you sometimes? It really used to annoy me, actually, when I was quite a young player, just beginning to um, to uh, find my way as a baritone player. And you would be building yourself up for, you know, the mini solo that you would get in a, in a test piece or something like that. And you'd go and do the performance, think you've played out your skin and nobody mentions it. That was the kind of thing. I, I do have a, a routine that I stick to when I, I prepare to go and adjudicate. And, and not every contest is going to be the same. So a youth contest is going to be very different to um, a a more senior competition. I never tend to be harsh or or overly critical. I'll point out things as they come up in a crit, but I always temper it with something that's constructive as well, and more so, I think, when it's for young players. So maybe even think about the language that I use as well if I'm uh, adjudicating a youth band competition compared to something else. Try to be positive, but if there are issues with a performance, I, I really try and, and, and think of, well, what would I like to write that would be helpful? How would you improve that performance? That can, I think that just runs right through everything I do. I try to be positive in all of the things that I'm, I'm writing. I think that's really important. I probably tend to write too much. In essence, I probably another issue that I have is when you, you don't get a lot, when you, you maybe a one line in an adjudication as well, and you, you've spent so long preparing for performances when you get something like that. Yeah, it's finding a balance, I guess. And I know they'll vary for different events and so on, but just how much roughly do you have to prepare for an event? Because I guess somebody might say, well, if you have a rough idea of the repertoire and you kind of turn up in the morning and get a score and 
sit back and listen as it'll all come off the top of your head. But of course, uh, it isn't like that, is it? There are, it differs for every competition. If you if you think about the area competition, I was I was quite busy in Scotland um, and I was at the Northwest as well. So you, you're obviously getting those scores quite a long time in advance. So say eight weeks in advance, I spend a long time preparing those scores. Well, this year, for example, these were all new commissions. It's different if you've got, if there's a test piece that you already know, you still need to do the in-depth work, I think, anyway. So, for a, for example, this year, new test pieces, the Golden Sabre, for example, uh, I spent a long time researching the background of the piece, researching the Hussar poets, even going into that depth and having a wee look at some of those uh, to try and get a sense of the kind of style, what kind of sounds is the composer looking for. And then I'll go into the score and spend a long time if I'm playing it through on keyboard, on, on piano or, or playing some of the solos through just to see where phrasing might happen, having a look at the pitfalls that bands might find in pieces and, and they're quite obvious ones. Muted cornets, muted back row cornets and uh, all on low Ds or something like that or an entry for a trombone section on muted um, and you know that needs to be in tune and you know that bands will find that hard or this this year, Golden Sabre, there was a lovely kind of bass section. You know that that's going to be tricky for bands as well. And there'll be some adjudicators. Howard Evans went to the composer and tried to get um, a sense of the piece from him, what he was kind of looking for. And if you can do that, then that's a good idea as well. So I would do all of that before I would even listen to a recording of it. I would rather, I would rather make my own mind up about the piece and the sounds that, that are there and the pitfalls things that than, than hear a performance of it and then just get um, carried in that direction. The, the Golden Sabres are a good example because there are a lot of subtle tempo changes in that. And if you went to the recording, the recording, a lot of the tempos were quite up on what was on the score. And a lot of bands did that, but maybe didn't, you know, maintain um, the, kind of, the, the, the kind of ideas that the composer was looking for. So it's things like that. I would do all of that before I would listen to a recording. And that's for new pieces, for pieces that you would be familiar with, I guess. It's a different kind of head you've got on looking at a piece as an adjudicator than as a conductor. Because I'm not looking, as a conductor, I would be looking at how I could put my stamp on a piece. When you're adjudicating, you're not looking to kind of put your style into it. You're not looking for particular styles because it's music at the end of the day. And if people are communicating, then that's great. How do you begin to prepare when you're in an own choice environment, whether that's with test pieces or say an entertainment contest, when you're going to have perhaps dozens of scores to deal with during the course of the day? And then how do you compare those performances? I kind of come back to the, the basics of good playing. So good intonation, good sound, good ensemble. These are the basics of good playing. And that's your, that's your bedrock. And it's important then, for example, to begin with, to be current as an adjudicator. So know what the repertoire is. Know whether it's entertainment or whether it's uh, new test pieces. You'll hear them perform somewhere or you maybe, uh, there'll be, there'll be uh, adjudicators who'll actively just go and, just go and buy a, a, a score. If you're not judging it a particular point, just, just buy a, a study score and look at that. And you're keeping yourself current from that point of view. When it comes to own choice test pieces, 
basics are what you're listening for. The basics. So you're listening for good, good ensemble, good intonation, and, and a, a good old overall sound. And then the other things start to. So your soloist. How does the soloist perform? Um, how is the communication being? So all of these things um, are added on top of that. It's quite stark when you hear it in a in a box. When it comes to entertainment contest, it all depends on what the um, what type of contest and what briefing you've been given as a judge. So some contests, entertainment contests, will just say, just judge the music and that's it. Don't take anything else into consideration. And again, so you, go, you would go back to your, the, the kind of main three core elements. Some contests will ask you, so CIDIS, for example, you, you'll have a 10, point, 10 points of, of entertainment um, to give along with your music uh, adjudication as well. So you have to kind of, you have to take that into account. And when you're working with somebody else, it's good to do that. It's good to work um, and have that discussion between the two. So difficult decisions, but it comes down to your own preparation as an, as an, an adjudicator, your interest in the, in the world of banding, in the world of music and performances um, and how you keep yourself current from that point of view, keeping that bedrock of, of good sound, good intonation, good ensemble, that's your bedrock. And the more you do it, um, the more skilled you become, keeping your oral skills going as well. I think, that's, I think these are all really important. While we're chatting about contests and the contesting day, a couple of quick personal preferences from you. Box or no box? Oh, I, I would box. Well, depends. Ah, oh, I, I blurted that out very quickly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, okay, box for, for sure in a test piece contest. Absolutely no question because it, you'd be amazed at how focused you become if it's um, a, a test piece, set test piece for the whole contest, it's boom, you're in business right from the beginning and, and there's no distractions in a box for a, a test piece. Sometimes, obviously, for an entertainment contest, out of a box is, is okay. And another one on that front, blank canvas on which to provide your comments or marking against strict criteria? Blank canvas, no problem with that as well. I think you don't want to kind of be caught ticking boxes um, uh, as you go along. I think quite often that's that that can restrict you in many ways to what you if you have set comments, then you're a bit restricted because you're hearing more than you've got. Judges are more skilled skilled listeners than a tick box gives them credit for. Uh, and I think if you've got your blank canvas and you've got your three, your core principles, I keep, oh, I keep going back to your core, if you've got your core principles and you're hearing everything else, everything else is adding to that performance, you don't need boxes to tick. You, you've got your, your own skill as an adjudicator, your own listening skills, your own integrity as a musician. You don't need scaffolding like that to help you out. You really just need a blank canvas and, and fall back on your, your, your core principles as a, as a good musician. You're now in the position of lecturing and giving advice to others about uh, adjudication. How are you feeling overall with the standards of adjudication as you see it when you're around in the banding scene? I like how the Association of Brass Band Adjudicators have um, their mentoring 
scheme and mentoring system set, set up, I think that's really, um, really helpful. And I think uh, as a scaffold, as a help for, for young adjudic adjudicators coming through, for the youth, the, 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 I think that's absolutely wonderful. I really do, I think, and I would commend it to, to anyone as well. That's not to say that you, you can't still learn and you can't still um, make improvements. I think that's what we're about like keeping your skills current and keeping your listening current, um, really uh, uplifted by the, the, the standards of judges that I've worked with. Uh, it's, it's fabulous. It might be fair to assume, Anne, that one of your favourite adjudications came 30 years ago this year, <laughs> when as a member of what was then the CWS Glasgow Band, you won the national title at the Royal Albert Hall on English Heritage. How do you look back on that day? Oh my goodness. It was just magical. It, it was one of those performances where you can remember, boy, this is going really well. <laughs> uh, and things happened. Remember, Alan Ramsey was on Principal Cornet playing the solo and, and playing this that that solo that my cornet solo and, and it all going well. And it, I, you could tell on stage, yes, he got that. Um, and he he felt he felt the same. So the performance, I remember, nothing went wrong. It felt really good. And then we kind of didn't really think anything of it until the next thing that was very clear was sitting in the hall waiting for the adjudication. And I think, if I remember correctly, um, we had played 20th um, and I think Black Dyke were 23. And I don't think they had come out the bag yet. I don't think that, had, that number had been announced. We knew that Whitburn had done really well so they were in the top they were in the top six and then it, it came to it came to first place and we hadn't been announced so we thought oh well maybe maybe whatever happened and when they said band 20 we were waiting for them to say three and they didn't and it was us and it was oh my heavens it was just unbelievable it's, and it's a, I think it's a, a that feeling at that precise moment when it was band 20 and it was us, that'll live with me. That'll live with me forever. Just how good was the band at that time? You mentioned Alan Ramsey was sitting on Principal Cornet. Was there a lot of confidence even heading into the contest? I think so. Yeah, the band, the band was a good band. The band was a really good band. I've heard um, a few uh, of the performances. Some of the guys have been putting some performances up on Facebook um, of things in concerts that, gosh, I can't even remember that we did at the time. Um, and you, you're listening to it and think, wow, gosh, that, that was a good band. That was the great players sitting around the music, the, the stand. All of that work that we had been doing with Howard Snell, it was just such, it was a great time. It was a, it was a great time uh, and I remember it really well. To say there was a lot of confidence going in, I think that's a funny, I think it's a funny thing that because it's the national championships, I don't think, it was even in the reckoning that we thought, oh, we'll, we're going to win this. I don't think that was um, that was in our thoughts. Although, having said that, the, the, the kind of mindset of the band at the time was, it was really positive mindset. It was always a really kind of, we're world beaters. That's That was the kind of mindset at the time. It's very, I, I do remember that very clearly. So, but winning the competition, I mean, that was never in the, the, the thoughts, I don't think, but we knew that we were a good band. Along with cooperation or CWS Glasgow as it was, much of your playing career saw you perform with Whitburn Band. So we've chatted about the national title with the Co in 1990. 
what are some of your other performing highlights, whether on the contest stage or a particular engagement in which you took part that you look back on fondly? A lot of them will be early. I remember European Championships um, with uh, with Whitburn and with with the co the the, the first that I remember, well, the first one that I, I do remember and it will always stay with me is in Bergen. And at that point, at that time, we we, ha, we all had kilts as well. So that, oh, it was just, that was fantastic, playing in the Greek Hall. Um, and we had kilts and we were throwing heather out to the audience and we were just going, we just went for it. So that I remember really well. That, that was great. Um, a, a, a great experience all round. Um, and other European Championships then after after that that we performed in was always a great occasion. Um, I do remember in Whitburn playing, um, it was Birmingham, uh, Talis Variations was the set work uh, and you just remember great performances by great players, Chris Bradley, that was a great flugel soul and that just amazing um, we played last in the first half of the contest, and that's when the European Championships were on in the same day. So we last in the first half, first in the second half, and you know we had a great talus variations. So that was that was wonderful. Um, I, and other things that I, I remember uh, an epic symphony performance with um, Major Parks. And that was not long after I had moved to Whitburn, the Edinburgh Festival contest, which is no more. Um, but on the Friday, the night before the contest, we didn't play quite so well on the Saturday. But on the Friday, on the night before, we had a, a final run through with the major. Um, and it's one of my abiding memories of playing Epic Symphony with uh, with the major. And it was magical so it wasn't in a contest it was in the bedroom but it was a, a it was an, a memory that uh, you know it'll never never leave me and there have been others you know since then obviously but these are these are kind of big things that stand out during those years performing at such a high level there will have been quite a few conductors standing in front of you uh, and i think you've touched on one already but who really inspired you I have to go back to the very beginning, I guess. Um, and th there have been, as you say, there have been many great, great memories of, of Philip working with Whitburn. Um, Philip McCann. Yes, uh -huh. and, and all the work that he put into the band and the passion that he, that he that he had for working with the band. Um, I mentioned Major Parks. I only got a little time, a, a short time with the Major because um, I had just joined Whitburn um, and he was really coming to the end of his time there. But the majority of my uh, my, my early years and the inspiration, the kind of light, and, and it's quite a cliche to say a light bulb moment, but as a, a player, as a baritone player coming from New Mains band and moving into the, the CWS band and then getting to work with Howard Snell was just, uh, it was just awesome. I, I remember maybe not really fully re realising how to play proper and, and, and the, full, the full scope of what you can do as a brass player and he switched that light on and then the work that he did with the band in that in that time it was just he was my inspiration he was he was i go right back to that time and just i can still hear his voice um when i'm whenever we maybe take an arrangement out or that, that he's done or a test piece daphnis and chloe i remember working with on daphnis and chloe with whitburn and i do remember when daphnis and chloe when he had done, and i remember that you know the handwritten score that he used to do and i remember his voice when he's talking about certain things that's got to be it for me, definitely.
Well, now we arrive at your piece of the podcast. Mm-hmm. You've had two pieces which you've been struggling to separate, and tell me why they both really stick out for you. Well, one of them that I've already spoken about is, is the Epic Symphony, because all of the years that, that, that Whitburn had been working with the major, and great music anyway, and then when you couple it with uh, the major standing in front of the band in full flow, still at, at the height is his power, uh, and that communication, that's, that piece actually at that moment was fabulous. When I, when I go back to, yeah, the person who inspired me the most would be Howard Snell. And the piece, because the Year of the Dragon at the time was this whoa, phenomenal piece, really difficult test piece. You had to work your socks off to, to play it all. And I do remember, we probably didn't ever quite reach the heights that, um, that Ikanger reached playing it. It was amazing trying to get there. <laughs> it was fantastic trying to overcome all the technical hurdles in it. And 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 again, it's another piece that I remember Howard. Uh, I remember Howard's voice. I've taken the piece out with various bands over the years, and there are still still things and the, the way he wanted us to play certain parts of it. You know, they stick out in my memory. I still hear his voice when he when he was doing it. So yeah, I think. Mark, on balance, I'm going to come down on the side of Year of the Dragon. You've talked yourself into this now, haven't you? (laughs) Year of the Dragon it is. That's the one. Thank you. 
The majestic sound of what was then the Britannia Building Society Band performing The Year of the Dragon by Philip Spark. That formed part of the band's winning performance from the European Brass Band Championships in Cardiff in 1992 when it was conducted by Howard Snell. And it was today's piece of the podcast courtesy of my guest Anne Crookston. So, and there came a point where the balance shifted a bit in your music making with some less playing and more conducting. Was that a difficult choice to make or was it more of a natural progression? It was difficult um, for a number of reasons. I'd always, I've always been interested in conducting. I've always had that uh, right from when I was um, a teenager, uh, sang in my school choir, sang in my church choir. Um, and at one point, I think I was 16, 17, and the person who was, had conducted our church choir left to do something else. And I took over. I don't know why. I can't even remember how that happened. I had a brass ensemble at, at Glasgow Uni when I was doing music there. We had a brass ensemble. They'd never really had a brass ensemble and, and I had the wind 
band, I got a chance to conduct the orchestra when I was at uni. Um, and then when I started at school, I always conducted school bands. But in terms of conducting bands, that took a much longer time because I was still playing, I still loving playing, I still love playing now. I think the challenge of conducting bands and it happened a few times at Whitburn because we would maybe be in between resident conductors um, and you would guess, you know, somebody they would ask you to, to take the band for a couple of rehearsals. Okay, I really enjoyed it. But I think the challenge of conducting as a woman, conducting a, a band in, in an environment where there aren't that many women conductors, certainly weren't that many when I started. I think that that was also quite a draw for me um, and I, I felt well there's here's a new challenge I'd quite like to give it a go see how I get on the only thing is that if I was conducting a band the, and I was still as a player still playing quite often I would find myself being asked to go to a band and conduct and then be asked to play I really wasn't being seen as a conductor and that went on for a wee while there's a conductor that I missed um, when I was talking, we were talking about it earlier on, and that was Frank Renton. Um, and Frank uh, is a good friend of Kenny and, and of mine. I had long conversations with him many years ago, but the conversations with him went along those lines. You know what, if you're going to conduct, do it and stop playing. You need to stop playing. Um, and that was quite a hard decision to make um, because I still felt that we was, Whitburn were still a great, are still a great band, obviously. But I thought he was right. I thought, I, if, unless I'd just jump into it, people are still going to see me as a baritone player and not as a conductor. And I really need to focus on that. If I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it to any standard, then I've got to do it. So that, it was quite a difficult decision, but um, I'm, glad, I'm glad I did it. One stage of your conducting career saw you return to Whitburn, where you'd enjoyed so much success as a player. There would no doubt have been some familiar faces among the ranks there. So what was it like to go back to the band and have that degree of familiarity, but obviously you were in a very different role? That's difficult. It's difficult, and um, that it's difficult conducting at that level. Anyway, you hope that people will have respect for you um, and and your capabilities as a musician, and trust that what you're trying to do is for the good of the band. So the first rule of thumb when you're going in, you know, in that position, and, and I was going in as resident conductor, I guess, for for want of a, a better description, what you, I would be going in to do would be to prepare the band for um, the conduct, whoever whoever it was, to conduct, to come in and conduct the band. So my 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 role was very clear from that point of view. Make sure that the band is in a fit state for whoever it was, if it was Nick or or Flora Didi or or, or any of those conductors. Um, make sure that the band was fit. I, I trusted that the band would realise that that's, that's what I wanted to do. If, they, if I was conducting the band at a contest, um, I said, same thing applies, but I'm putting my own spin on it as well. And that's when you get a chance to be more expressive as a musician, more expressive as a conductor. Uh, and again, you hope that the trust that you build up and the fact that you, you yes, you've been familiar with the band, but they know your capability as a musician. So it's, it's difficult. It's a, it's a difficult balance. And it's high intensity as well. A band like that is it, full on. And I tend to prepare a lot. I tend to be, um, to try and cover every, in my preparation to make sure I've got everything ready. So it's, it's hard. It's hard work. It's graft. Um, and then it's, it's great when you stand in front of a band like that and it's, you know, everything 
you, you know, you don't need to, 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 to do too much. These are players that know what they're doing. And we're motoring towards the final stages of our chat today. There are some very talented musicians doing great things in the band world who happen to be women. Yourself, Jane Murrell, Sarah Guart Booth, and there are other voices too. Uh, we know there are lots of fine female players, but would you like to see more rising to other positions in banding, conductors, composers, adjudicators, whatever it happens to be? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that for all the great, a lot of great women players, and there hasn't been the same pull into, into conducting. Um, there are fabulous composers, fabulous composers. Um, we spoke not that long ago to Liz Lane. Yes. Uh, she's great. And the thought processes and how she thinks about music, fantastic. Um, and, and more, as you say, as well. Yeah, obviously, I would love to see uh, more of that. And hopefully, the, the Marika and, and Shona and all of the great, the, the, the guys that are doing some great, great work with um, adjudicating and conducting, uh, that's going to set a good example um, for, for women. It's hard. It's difficult. You know, and there still are a lot of barriers out there to overcome. There's, there's no doubt about that. But you can only keep trying. So there's no doubt that there, there, there's great talent out there. But yes, I would love to see more. And just finally, Anne, we're in the midst of this bizarre lockdown period as it continues. Um, the banding world taking a bit of a break as far as normal rehearsals and engagements are concerned, though there are some great initiatives happening in the meantime. How do you hope to see things panning out when the wheels are gradually set in motion to resume normal activities? That's an interesting question. It's, I think it's a, a, a difficulty that everybody faces and it's almost like trying to grapple with fog because you don't know what you don't know. Now that there's different advice um, being given out by respective governments, bands are now thinking, well, maybe, maybe it's time to get back together again. Um, I, I still think it's slow and slow and stay. I think we're, we're a lot more cautious here and I think that um, bands and brass bands in particular are, are going to have to take things very slowly. I did hear in the orchestral world the strings are spaced out quite a bit. Brass are individually screened off. So there is, a, there is an issue with that. Maybe it would be small ensembles that would get together first or small sectional work or you maybe start with quartets or moving to 10 piece before you would get to um, get to full band rehearsals. Whatever the, the solution is, it, it would be longer than we maybe think. That's it for this episode of BB On The Record. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can enjoy a digital subscription to British Bandsman. It costs just £42.99 for one year. Go to britishbandsman.com and click on subscribe. Keep an eye out for British Bandsman on Facebook and Twitter. That's a great way of keeping in touch with all the latest updates. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now.